listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. Good morning, good morning. Everybody doing all right? I think you've probably been asked that before, and how is everybody actually going to answer? I don't know, but uh, anyway, good to see all of you here. Why don't we, I'm going to stop and pray. Let's stand and pray. That'll work. Do that. Father, I ask that you would just help us today. We need your help. Um, Lord Jesus, you talked about your Father. You said apart from him you could do nothing, Lord. And so we depend on you. We ask for your help. Lord, touch hearts, touch lives. Lord, give us insight. Show us how you feel about us. Uh, Help our transformation continue into your likeness, Lord Jesus. And uh, amen, amen. We are in our series on the Gospel of Mark, and um, we're taking one chapter a week, and it's virtually impossible to cover everything in each chapter each week, so I decided today I would just take part of one verse, and um, we'll talk about discovering your identity, and so we have... uh, The verse I want to look at is Mark 3. Actually, it's verse 16. Why don't we read this short verse together? He appointed his 12 and gave Simon the nickname Peter the Rock. Let me read that one more time. He appointed his 12 and gave Simon the nickname Peter the Rock. It's very interesting to me, the first thing Jesus did when he met Peter was to give him a nickname. And what we're going to discover is that Jesus was about to take Peter through a life-changing three-year journey to help him discover who he really was. And I think we can learn something by this. The man who demonstrated the most instability among the apostles, Jesus would call what? The rock. Now, I'm not saying that um, Peter by nature was unstable, but however he had processed things, however he had grown and developed, he, he really did demonstrate a certain amount of instability. And so from the very beginning we find Jesus speaking into Peter a new identity. Um, As I was thinking about those things, uh, the things I'm going to talk about today about identity, about uh, what I would say is um, there's a war. Uh, There's almost like a spiritual war. There's a cultural war. Um, And Uh, much of it geared towards telling people who they are, telling people what they should think, telling people how they should behave. Basically, that would be an identity war. And as I thought about it, I thought about what really affects us to one degree or another. I made a list just, just to consider culture, family background, genetics, tradition, how we're treated, other people's expectations and pressures, 
course, peer pressure, what your friends think, disappointments, personal desires, personal dreams, broken promises, just the pressures of growing up, and business and relational pressures. Any of these, or even all of them, I don't know, any, at least any of these could affect how we see ourselves. And they will not give us an accurate understanding of our identity. But one thing is sure, the one who created us can certainly tell us who we are. How many of you agree with that? That's good. So far, so good. Now, a number of years ago, the Lord gave me this idea, which was to look up in my electronic concordance, which has a red letter section. How many of you know the red letters are what Jesus said? And the Lord basically encouraged me to look up how many times Peter shows up in the New Testament in red. Well, I researched uh, the total of how many times Peter's name is in the New Testament, and it's 193 times. But how many times did the Bible record that Jesus used that name? I think that was a great question. I thought it would be a lot. It was very little. Matter of fact, it was um, only four times. Actually, it was only three times. One time Jesus used the Aramaic word Cephas, which means Peter, because Jesus didn't speak Greek and he didn't speak English. He spoke Aramaic. And the other time it was used when Jesus sent an angel to encourage Peter. And so out of the 193 times we find Peter's name used in the New Testament, Jesus, in essence, only used it five times. And so I wondered, why, why was that? Why did he predominantly call him Simon Barjona? Um, Jonah being his father. Simon Bar-Jonah meant Simon, son of Jonah. And so I began to ask myself, why was that? I felt like the Lord was trying to get my attention. Well, as I looked at it, I realized each time Jesus called Simon Bar-Jonah Peter, he was revealing to him more of who Peter's true identity really was. Jesus was basically telling Simon Bar-Jonah through different experiences and episodes who Peter really was. Now, mentioned earlier a battle over identity. Well, in one sense, if you lose the battle over your identity, it can greatly restrict your destiny or it can prohibit you from becoming the person God sees you to be, although you may not know it. Um, one of the ways I've, I've seen that, I look at the birth of John the Baptist. When you look at Luke one thirteen, it records the story of a priest, an aged priest named Zechariah. He and his wife have not been able to have children. While he's performing his priestly duties in the temple, an angel appears to him and frightens him immensely. And so we find uh, verse 13, it says this, But the angel reassuring Zechariah says, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God is showing grace to you. For I have come to tell you that your prayer for a child, and the Passion Translation footnote says, the prayer you don't even pray anymore. For I have come to tell you that the prayer you don't even pray anymore has been answered. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to name him John. And then the angel 
um, gives a job description or a destiny outline of who this John, this son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, is being called to be. And so there are two things we find in that verse. First of all, heaven names the child. And that's an important idea. The picture there is only heaven has a right to tell you who you are. In essence, no matter who names you in the earth, heaven has a description of you that you have an inalienable right to walk in, to believe in, and to hear. Now, I think another point there in that verse is that some of our prayers have a longer shelf life in heaven than our faith does. And I really like that idea. That we can pray things, give up on them, but we prayed in faith. I don't know how this works because I don't know how hardly anything spiritually works anymore, but uh, that's why it's the life of faith. But I believe we see here they wanted a son. God wanted to give them a son, but he waited until they could not have a son in a particular strategic moment in the history of Israel for that prayer to be answered. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. There are a lot of things we want that we want prematurely. And if we got them when we wanted them the most, we would probably mess it up. So there's a point in a place where we really just do have to trust God and begin to believe that he is wise. He knows what he's doing. So Zechariah responded really poorly to the angel. And so the angel told him, well, you're not going to speak again until the child is born. And so when we look at verse 59 of Luke 1, uh, we discover this. When the baby was eight days old, according to their custom, all the family and friends came together for the circumcision ceremony. Everybody was happy about that except the baby. Oh, I'm sorry. Everyone, that was pretty funny. Everyone was convinced that the parents would name the baby Zechariah after his father. Okay, at this point, Zechariah couldn't speak. He had been mute for nine months. Verse 60, but Elizabeth spoke up and said, no, he has to be named John. What? They exclaimed, no one in your family line has that name. So they gestured to the baby's father to ask him what to name the child. After motioning for a writing tablet in amazement of all, he wrote, his name is John. He wrote, his name is John. And so when Zechariah agreed with heaven about the identity of this child, the Bible says instantly Zechariah could speak again. And there's really a picture there. Um, if you let people talk you out of who you really are or impose on you someone that you're not called to be, you'll lose your voice. I don't mean you won't be able to be audible again. I mean your influence. What it is you can actually do for people in the world will be greatly diminished. If you don't know who you are, it's essential. Now, Tradition wanted to give the child the wrong identity. No one is called that in our family. I grew up 
sixth generation Presbyterian. And um, I just somehow did not fit in that spiritual mold. My grandfather, my great-grandfather were published for the Associate Reformed Presbyterian denomination. And when I met the Lord, I see Joe Mathis sitting in the back. He and I were incorrigibly evangelical Holy Ghost lunatics when we merged. Actually, he was worse than me, but I was bad as well. We would witness to anything that moved and some things that didn't move. And we got baptized in the Holy Ghost and we spoke in tongues and we prayed for the sick and we saw people healed and we began to discover aspects of God that I didn't know anything about in my tradition. And um, so I had a lot of trouble with my parents, first of all, because I was arrogant in my faith and tried to tell them what they, I thought they didn't know. But secondly, because they did not understand who I was, they wanted to, me to be, um, I think my mom wanted me a, den, a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer, and I, I didn't do any of that. And so at one point, there was some insanity in uh, my dad's side of the family, apparently. We had some lunatics that ran around. And I think my mother, after I made this move in God, thought I had inherited that particular genetic uh, disposition. And she literally told my dad one time, he's lost his mind, go get him. I mean, she really did tell him that. And that's another story. Nevertheless, here I am of sound mind. And... um my mom and dad are in heaven now, and they understand that um, a little, probably a little bit more about what I'm supposed to be doing. But Zechariah regained his voice when he agreed with what God was saying about his child. And so we're going to begin to look here at the different times Jesus called Simon Barjona Peter. One thing that struck me, um, how many of you know the story of Jonah? You, Jonah ran away from God or from God's purpose for his life. Well, this is Simon Bar-Jonah. And there's, honestly, when Peter denied the Lord, it's as though he began to run away from God's purpose for his life. And I believe Jesus could see all that because Jesus, you know, had just tremendous gifts of discernment, and he was so, such a visionary. And I believe he knew exactly who Peter was. And I knew that Jeter, uh, Jesus, Derek Jeter, I knew that, <laughs> yeah, Jesus went three for four last night in heaven, maybe. No, that's probably not going to work. <laughs> no, that's terrible. That, that's bad. I, repentance is enjoined there because Jesus would go four for four. <laughs> There are different levels to my humor. You have to catch up. But anyway, let's stop all that. Let's go to John chapter 1, verse 40. And it's um, just great verses of Scripture. Right in the middle of this episode, I'll read, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first, he first found his own brother Simon and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called 
Cephas, which is translated a stone or a rock or the rock. And that, that of course, is the, the Aramaic for Peter. Very same word, just different language. Now, here's what I believe Jesus was saying to Simon Barjona from the very beginning. Let me read that verse again. You're Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. I believe Jesus was really saying this to him. Simon, I know who you are, but you don't. And I think a lot of us, when we meet the Lord, we really don't know exactly who we are. How many of you have had identity issues as you have tried to discover who you are? That's sort of a redundancy, but... That Jesus was saying to Simon from the very beginning, I am giving you a new name because I know who you are, but you don't know who you are, and you really need to. I can just read all of that in there. He thought he was a fisherman, but you know who Simon Peter really was? He was an apostolic man upon whom Christ Jesus would establish an order in the world that would eventually completely take over. How could he know that? And what do I mean eventually completely take over? Well, there's going to be a day when Jesus returns, and one of the things that will be said about him is, for the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Christ, and he shall rule forever and ever. And so Peter had a high calling in all of that, but he didn't know who he was yet. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. God knows who you are, and he wants to tell you. Now, here's the difficulty with that. He will generally tell you things about yourself. You'll generally discover them experientially. They will be in the midst of situations and circumstances, and it won't happen all at once. Now, I believe Peter was on a fast track. Jesus had three years to try to get Peter to think of himself differently. But I know I can look back at my life and I can tell you a number of times in the midst of difficulty or successes or situations, the Lord has been very clear to reveal to me more things about myself, about things I'm supposed to be doing. And um, I'm saying that to say this, you, you really have to give God a chance to prove himself. You really do need to give him a chance over the long haul to show two things, that his word's true and that his character is beyond reproach. Donna mentioned this morning to me, we were talking, those were the two things the devil told Adam and Eve to dislocate them from their original calling. It was you can't trust the word of God and you can't trust the character of God. And when they bought into that, it initiated what we call the fall or all the sadness and sickness and depravity of human history down through the ages. Those were the two linchpins. What do you think about God's character? Do you believe what he said? So I just want to make that point because I think it's so important. The second time... Jesus used the name Peter. We find it in Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, 
others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Let's say what Simon Peter said about Jesus. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now that meant probably more to Peter than it did to us because we didn't live our whole lives looking for the Messiah. We didn't have a concept necessarily that a Messiah was coming, but Israel had been waiting and waiting and waiting on the Christ, on the Messiah. Now they had um, misconstrued ideas of what he would look like when he came or what he would do. But nevertheless, when Peter said this, he was making a very bold proclamation. And when he said that Jesus was the son of the living God, that could have also gotten Peter killed. Those are very bold statements to be made in that uh, Jewish culture. Well, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18. And listen closely to how Jesus says this. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And I also say to you, you said something to me, I also say something to you. This is what we're going to see in a minute. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not fail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That is a virtually unbelievable promise Jesus made to Peter. Something that happened in these verses caused Jesus to make a promise to Peter that the gates of hell or Hades wouldn't prevail against him and that he would have literal keys to open the kingdom of heaven and to, to bind things that should not be going on. It's an incredible promise. Now, we have a couple of issues to cover here. First of all, I want to talk about the, the gates of hell shall not prevail. What are gates? Gates are access points. Look at somebody say access points. Access points. We don't have gates. We have doors. The gates of hell. Well, the gates of hell are access points. And so what Jesus was saying here is if you understand what has gone on between Peter and I, there is no access point which allows the evil or the wickedness of hell or the devil's domain to have any influence over you whatsoever. Did you hear that? If you understand what went on between Jesus and Peter, you're promised keys that will open heaven. Well, then you have this big historic um, argument about... Um, that the Catholics say that the church is built on Peter, apostolic succession. Well, let me ask you this question. Did the gates of hell prevail against the Catholic church? What would that mean? Are there sick people? Are there poor people? 
Are there wicked Catholics? I'm not putting Catholics down. Don't understand me. I'm going to work our side of the church over in a minute. That means the gates of hell are prevailing. That means they do not qualify to participate in what Jesus promised. So then we have the Protestants. Protestants believe that the church is built on the revelation of who Jesus is, the Christ. Well, very clearly, that's important. But here's what we need to understand. Jesus was saying this to Peter. You told me I'm the Christ. You told me who I am. I'm going to tell you who you are. Because no one can discover who they are until they first know who I am and who I reveal to them who they are. And that is the key. That is the person. That is the group. That is the corporate expression in the earth that the gates of hell can not prevail against. Now, to me, that's what was going on there. It's so important. Many people know who Jesus is. I mean, they really know. But because they don't know who they are, who he says they are, what they're supposed to be doing, what their authority is, what their purpose is, evil influences, evil powers, evil people can be gates of hell. Evil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against people. But we can be influenced by people who have been influenced by evil things. So sometimes it looks like we wrestle against, but we don't. People are not our enemy, but they can be the source of that which is harmful. Everybody okay so far? Let me take a break. Oh, we're in good shape. How many of you have ever read the message translation? It's a, it's a good translation. I like that. I want to read the message translation of that. Um, you are Peter and on this rock portion. This is, says something really, really important. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, really are. See, that's how the message translates this. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock in which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Here's the idea. What would a corporate expression look like? What would a living, functioning, local body of Christ look like if everyone there knew who they were, knew who Jesus was, knew God loved them, knew God was for them, and they didn't just know who they were in that regard. They knew what they were supposed to do. What would that look like? Well, I really do. I believe that's, I believe that's where we're headed. This is a rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is yes in heaven. Say that with me. A yes on earth is yes in heaven. A no on earth is no in heaven.
And so we discover that the keys, when they're in the hands of someone who qualify, has the ability to express tremendous authority. What are those keys? I believe those keys are yes and no. I believe they're the keys of agreement. We're going to see that um, when Peter said yes to Jesus, oh, we're going to see this in a second. I'm skipping ahead. But if I don't get to the keys, somebody remind me. It's very important, but I don't want to get ahead. All right, the third time, Luke 22, 31 through 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. What did Jesus call Peter there? Simon, Simon. Didn't call him Peter. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So Jesus had seen the entire scenario of Peter's denial. And he understood that Peter could actually become strengthened through uh, an episode of horrendous failure if he could stay connected to Jesus the way Jesus was willing to stay connected to him. But he had to learn some things. So he says, but I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. It's interesting. He didn't say, I pray. He didn't say, Peter, I pray you don't fail. He knew Peter had to fail. There are some things God does not want us to go through that we will go through because of our own obstinance or self-sufficiency or self-confidence. And the only way we're going to learn to not trust ourselves is to see what's really in ourselves. Is anybody listening to that? And so that's both good news and bad news. It's good news if you listen to the Lord explicitly. It's bad news if you don't. Well, I won't go there. But anyway, so Jesus goes on. I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. When you return to me, strengthen your brethren. <laughs> so Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, this is what you're going to do. But Peter says, no, Lord, that's not what I'm going to do. Now, Peter had just lost one of the keys. Because Jesus was telling Peter, yes, this will happen. Peter should have said, yes, if you say, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail. Can you keep me from it? But he didn't say that. Jesus said, yes, this is going to be, this is going to happen. Peter said, no, it's not going to happen. I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, The rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. And so even in the context of Jesus telling Peter and warning him of the impending worst day of his life, the day Peter was going to, with oaths and curses, deny the Lord, the day Peter was going to break his own heart, the day Simon Barjona was going to feel like all his dreams had vanished, Jesus called him in that context, not just Simon, but he called him Peter. 
Now, why did he do that? Because I believe Jesus was saying this. Peter, I don't care what you do. Never forget who you are. Never forget. Never forget who I told you you are. Well, the one thing about Peter's failure is that it put a, it dealt a death to his pride and his self-sufficiency. And it was necessary because that was going to wreck him down the road. There's some things we just learn the hard way. I hate it, but it, but it seems to be true. But even in Simon's worst failure, Jesus put a, a reminder. He reminded Peter of who he really was. I think that's an affirmation of how much Jesus loved him. But it wasn't just an affirmation of how much he loved him. It's an affirmation of how much Jesus believed in him. That was the third time. Okay, the fourth time. Mark 16, 6 through 8. At this point, Jesus has denied the Lord. The rest of the apostles and disciples have fled. Jesus has raised from the dead. Nobody seems to believe it. And we find this happening here in Mark 16, verse 6. But the angel said to them, do not be alarmed. He's talking to the women at the empty tomb. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you in the Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. Now, we find that in the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. I don't know if you remember from last week. Who, whose gospel is the Gospel of Mark? It's Peter's. Peter's spiritual son, John Mark, wrote it. It's written from Peter's perspective. Every episode in the Gospel of Mark, Peter's involved in. Only in the Gospel of Mark is this story recorded. Go tell my disciples and Peter. And the idea here is Peter could have believed Jesus was through with him. How many of you have been that low? How many of you have hit that before? Jesus is through with you. Peter could have believed that, but worse than that, the rest of the apostles could have believed Jesus was through with Peter because of what he had done. But I believe Jesus went out of his way to inform the other apostles that Peter was still a part of his master plan. Jesus never gives up on us. Let me say that again. Jesus never gives up on us. Even when we fail, even when it seems like we messed up so badly that we could never recover. Now, here's the remarkable aspect of it. Our failure, although our fault and not God's intent, our failure could even become a vital part of the master plan that helps us develop and get to where we're going. That's how good God is. The angel with Jesus' instruction says, go tell my disciples and Peter that I go before you into Galilee. If you know the end of the Gospel of John, Peter went and Jesus restored him, and it was tremendous. Jesus had actually prophesied to Peter, when you've returned, strengthen your brethren. 
there's that idea that you can actually become stronger based on how you relate to your failure. You could actually become stronger if you understand when you go through a difficult situation and you don't perform your best. It's really vital. All right, the fifth time, and this is the last time. This is over in Acts chapter 10, verse 13. And a voice came to Simon, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Now, this is the story. Peter was fasting. He was at Simon the Tanner's house, and he went up on a rooftop to pray. He fell into a trance in that state where you're hungry. Um, I, I know a friend of mine that doesn't cook, and he bought 20 uh, cookbooks on a 40-day fast. And he said what happened was he kept watching that food channel when he was fasting, and he would see these books and he'd order them, but he, he never cooked anyway. So Peter is fasting, he's up on the roof, and so what does the Lord do? The Lord lowers a sheet, and on the sheet there are all these animals that Jews understood and considered unclean that they would never eat. But what does the Lord say? The Lord says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. So it's like the Lord lowers a menu to a hungry man, and the Lord says, I want you to eat this, and Peter basically says, no, not so. Okay, so the Lord, you know, when the Lord told Peter, listen, you're going to deny me, this is true, it's true, Peter said, no, it's not true. And what happened to him? The worst day of his life. You see, that's the Lord giving someone a yes who answers with a no. Well, here, the Lord is giving Peter um, another yes about eating from these unclean animals when actually he's talking to Peter about something on a much larger basis, which is that he wants to bring the Gentiles into the kingdom that the Jews considered to be unclean. And how does he do it? Well, he lowers a menu to a hungry man, and he gets his attention that he doesn't understand the heart of God, although he has grown up in the, uh, in, in the Jewish tradition. But Peter said, not so, Lord. So the Lord is basically saying, yes, Peter, and Peter is saying no. Well, so the Lord did it three times. And a voice would speak to him each time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. So this happens to Peter three times. Each time the object was taken back up into heaven. Well, here's what was going on. Jesus had a, an angel had appeared to a Roman centurion named Cornelius. He was very generous to the Jewish nation. And the angel said, you need to go find a man named Peter who's uh, uh, residing at a, a the house of Simon the Tanner, he has an important message for you. So, Cornelius sends three men, and three men show up after Peter has seen this unclean animal menu three times when God told him to eat it, and the men say, we're looking for Simon Peter, and the Lord tells Peter, go with them, and don't doubt anything that happens. And so what happens is Peter goes down to the Gentiles' house. He eats with them, which he's not supposed to do as a good Jew. 
and he begins to tell them about Jesus. And before he gets to the altar call, they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. And Peter goes, oh, this is what the Lord's talking about. Don't call these people unclean. Well, here's what happened. When Peter agreed with the Lord, the Lord gave him the key that unlocked salvation to the entire rest of the world. He gave him that kind of authority. Here's what I also see that fifth time. For us to become who we are, we're going to have to change our minds about some very specific things we've been convinced of that haven't served us well. Now, you may ask me what things, and I would have to tell you I have no idea. I have no idea. But it's your belief structure. It's your belief structure that either gets you into all that God has for you or keeps you out from aspects of it. And by that, I'm not talking about doctrinal beliefs necessarily, but I'm talking about agreeing with God as to who he says you are, seeing people the way he sees them. I don't know. It could be any number of things. Your tradition could have put an imprint on you. You need to shake off. You need to disagree with. You may have ideas about who you are that in essence release in your life depression or fear or anger. And no amount of Bible verse quoting will release you from something that only comes by breaking agreement with concepts and ideas that are simply not true. I believe every one of us are going to have to change our minds to become who God has called us to be. And so, those are the five times. What's five the number of? Grace. The keys. You've got my car keys? No, no. Yes. Um, when, when Jesus told Peter he would have the keys that would lock and unlock, we, we read in the message translation that those keys were basically yes and no. And so what you see in Peter's life is when Peter said no to Jesus' yes, about his, uh, that he was going to fail because of his own attitudes. Peter failed. Peter could have said, if Peter would have agreed with Jesus, if Peter's yes would have matched Jesus' yes, if when Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times, if Peter would have said, yes, Lord, I know that's the kind of person I am, but I don't want to do it, he would not have had to do it. he would have had the right key. And then there in Acts 10, when Jesus said, uh, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Don't call unclean what I call clean. Peter kept saying no, no. Well, if he had continued his no, Jesus would have had to find someone else to give the keys to the Gentiles, to open that door of salvation. 
And so what we need to realize are the, the importance of agreement and proclamation. The importance of agreement and proclamation when we agree with God. You know, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And that prayer has become almost a formulaic poem or some kind of um, a doxology to be quoted at the end of a meeting or a service. Or it's what you teach your children to memorize. But what that prayer actually is, is a prayer of agreement. Jesus teaches how to pray. Jesus says, here's how, Robin, you and I are going to pray together. Our Father. Our Father. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer of agreement. And Jesus tells us about a prayer of agreement. Whatsoever the two of you as touch on earth, it shall be done of my Father in heaven. There's a whole lot more I could say about that. It's tied into the Melchizedek priesthood. It's a whole long concept. But the idea is this. When Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, he gave us God's will for our lives. And he said, if you will agree with me, heaven will be opened, my purposes will come, your life will change, what you pray for will be released, because that was the idea Jesus gave us to pray. It's the only prayer basically he gave us, that one prayer. Now, the, um, the grease that oils that wheel is forgiveness. You see that at the end of the prayer. Nevertheless, agreement, prayer of agreement. Jesus' yes needs to be your yes. God's no needs to be your no. So, amen. John Mark. I just saw something really neat while he was sharing this message. And it's, I'm basically repeating what he already said. I'm not saying anything that he didn't say, but it just sort of hit, struck me that Peter's, and I, I had to walk out the beginning because I had something I had to deal with, so I, I don't think you said this. I might have missed it at the very beginning, but the, I, I know my dad mentioned that Peter's name was Simon, Simon, son of Jonah. You know, and there's all this talk about Jonah. And if you look at Jonah's life and you look at Peter's life, you see this, um, you see these sort of reflections, right? Jonah ran away from the Lord. Peter denied the Lord, right? Jonah was thrown over the boat in the storm. Peter stepped out of the boat during the storm and walked to Jesus. You know, when Jesus was resurrected, Peter jumped out of the boat and swam to shore where Jesus was cooking fish, right? And talks about the sign of Jonah. And I don't know why all my life I thought the sign of Jonah was the storm. That wasn't the sign of Jonah. Um, I think you don't think about this because I guess it's not interesting so they don't put it in the Bible stories that we teach kids. This is not as interesting, but remember Jonah did not want the Ninevites to be saved because he didn't like them. They were, and he didn't like them for very good reason. They're very, very wicked, violently wicked people. You know, I think we could have some sympathy for Jonah because I think we would probably feel the same, the same way Jonah feels if we'd have known the type of uh, murder and the things that they had done to Jonah's people, I think we would probably feel very much the same. Um, but the Lord decided he loved them and he called Jonah. And so finally Jonah did what he was supposed to do at the end of the story. Remember, Jonah is still mad 
that the Ninevites got saved and climbs up on the hill to see what happens to the city. And uh, God causes this plant to grow because it's really hot. This plant grows. So Jonah has some shade you know, from the sun. And then God causes a worm to eat away at the plant and the plant dies. That is the sign of Jonah was the plant and the worm eating the plant. It's very specific in the last chapter of Jonah that God calls those things to happen. God specifically called all those things to happen and Jonah's mad about the plant and God speaks to Jonah. He says, you are mad about a stupid plant, a plant that you didn't plant, a thing that you didn't cause to grow, something that you had nothing to do with, you are mad about, but you have no compassion on the Ninevites. There's 12 Hundred people, if you don't have compassion on them, at least have compassion on their livestock. Like if you can't see the people, at least their animals are going to die. You know, if, if the judgment falls on them, right? Well, so then you see Peter, I can see him battling his whole life with this spirit of becoming Jonah, right? The one who runs away, the one who's cast into the water. But, where Jonah looked at the Ninevites with disdain, Peter was the one called to the Gentiles. Peter was the one who gave himself to the uh, non, the unclean, who had compassion on the unclean. And so when my dad's talking about agreeing, you can, you in a lot of ways, I believe, will become who you've agreed to become. And Peter could have chosen to become like his prophetic father, Jonah. Or he could have chosen to agree with who God said he was. I'm not saying anything that my dad didn't say, but that just hit me so hard while he was talking. So right now I want to pray, Lord, that we would agree with who you say we are. That we would become who you say we are. And that we wouldn't be so blind by the structure that we wouldn't feel the sense of entitlement based on things that we didn't plant, things that we didn't do, money that we really didn't earn, a country we didn't, you know. We wouldn't be blind by the things we have and feel the sense of entitlement, but we would be able to see beyond those things and have compassion on other people. And we would be able to be the people that you've called us to become who would speak goodness. Who would speak goodness first over ourselves and secondly over everyone we come into contact with. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. I think we're done. Right? Ministry teams. If you want prayer, um, we'll have ministry teams up here who will pray with you for uh, healing. If you, if you need to be healed or something's going on, um, whatever, we'll be happy to pray with you. Other than that, love you guys. Go pick up your kids. Bless you. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.